0: Smart for Life is a renowned health and wellness company specializing in delicious and nutritionally balanced snacks. Smart for Life's mission is to provide convenient options for health-conscious individuals. Their gourmet protein bars are a testament to the commitment to using high-quality ingredients and cutting-edge research to develop a nutritious and flavorful snack. It is a proven track record of helping people lead healthier lives through their innovative product line, backed by the expertise of their team of nutritionists and food scientists Whether you're following a specific diet plan or simply seeking a guilt-free treat, Smart for Life Gourmet Protein Bars cater to a wide range of dietary preferences, including vegan and vegetarian options, making them inclusive for a diverse range of consumers. Whether you're a fitness enthusiast, a busy professional, or a health-conscious individual, these bars fit seamlessly into your lifestyle, providing a convenient and nutritious snack solution. Smart for Life understands the importance of staying active and fit, which is why their gourmet protein bars are formulated to complement and enhance an active lifestyle. Whether you're engaging in intense workouts or just want a nourishing snack to keep you going through the day, these bars provide the necessary fuel for your active pursuits. Visit smartforlife.com and use promo code EMTL20 to receive 20% off your next order. That's EMTL20. Zero. Work hard, play hard, and slay through the sweat with Nux Active. Nux Active is high-performance activewear that doesn't compromise in the chic. Located in Los Angeles, their diverse, women-operated team oversees every meticulous detail of the design process from the first stitch to the last shipment. They channel positive planet vibes through a commitment to using the best organic fabrics and recycled materials as much as possible. Nux Active is active fashion that flexes and fits like a buttery section and skin I just ordered the one-by-one bra and leggings in the color Rio. Not only is it gorgeous and bright, it makes me feel sexy and show off my brand new curves. Power through Pilates, strive for the extra rep in Nux Active. Run, don't walk over to NuxActive.com. That's N-U-X-A-C-T-I-V-E.com to check out the latest collection and energizing colorways. And as a gift to you, take 20% off your purchase with promo code EMOTIONAL 20 N U X that's emotional two zero N U X at checkout. Make positive moves with NUX active. Welcome to
1: Emotional Support. Thank you for joining us. And now here's your host. Alessandra
0: Torrezani. Well, welcome, Chelsea Harvey Garner. I had to read that uh-huh. so I made sure that I didn't mess it up because <laughs> I have been saying, like, the wrong, the, the names of the guests correctly, but switching one mm-hmm. word. So, like, for instance, I'm looking at your name and it would be Chelsea Garvey Harner. Like, that's probably where my that mind would have really gone. That's really good. It sounds yeah. good, but it's not your name, so I want to make sure it's, that that's I say it correctly. True. Yeah, that's right. first and foremost. I just want to say I'm obsessed <laughs> with this snake photo that you have in the back. And
1: oh, it's a science everyone poster. What is it? It's um different kinds of snakes it's from so North America, sick. and which are venomous. I love a science chart. Cool, and I love snakes. They're so misunderstood, right? They're very misunderstood.
0: I have to tell you, the funniest is my daughter went into the pediatrician for her one year, I don't know, checkup or whatever. And they had all these like stuffed animals, snakes everywhere. And I was like, I'm sure a Mm. lot of kids like probably were scared of that. My daughter put it around her neck. And started walking around like Britney Spears, I'm a slave for you. And I was like, well, that's my yes. daughter. So, a moment to be proud of. Moment to be proud of, things to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Well, Chelsea, thank you so much for coming on Emotional yeah. Support. <laughs> I got this really cool email about your book and kind of your whole backstory. And I was so intrigued. And I just loved the name of your book, A Pity Party Is Still a Party. And I was like, this <laughs> is. Fabulous. Then I learned about the Big Feels Lab, about your nonprofit. You are just kicking ass. You're a psychotherapist. <laughs> you are a writer. You do it all. So I just wanted to introduce you to my audience and mm-hmm. let them know a little bit more about you. Chelsea, how did you become
1: so involved in mental health? <laughs> well, thanks for having me, first of all. Oh, I'm so excited course. to chat with you and with your audience. How did I become involved with mental health? I mean, it was really a personal journey. Right. Growing up around people in my family that were suffering so overtly. And then my own response to that, the ways that that affected my nervous system, my attachment system, my relationships. I was pretty young when I started to go to therapy, like, Mm. I don't know, maybe 12. Which is very young. And I loved it. For,
0: I feel like the. I'm not going to say the real world, but I'm going to say like for the world, because a lot of people are not introduced to therapy or even aware of mental health issues or problems or situations till they're in their 20s, 30s, and sometimes way older.
1: Yeah. And it wasn't as cool then, you know, I'm in my 30s. So like, it was the late 90s. And I was like, I didn't know a lot of people that were in therapy, but I loved it. I just enjoyed (laughs) it. Yeah. And I had a couple different therapists who, as I was getting older and I was considering different jobs, they were like, you would probably be good at this. And oh. it just stuck with me. Yeah. I love that. So that was, that was part of that. Yeah.
0: I love that. And when you were in therapy, was there a specific type of therapy that you felt you were drawn to more, um, when you were younger, yeah. maybe something different?
1: Yeah. I mean, looking back, I, like I didn't know what they were doing you sure. know, at the time, like conceptually, I didn't understand what their methods were. But now I see that they were doing a lot of attachment work. Mm. So, you know, helping me have a relationship with them. And I had several, like usually for like four or five years at a time, I'd have a therapist. Uh-huh. Um, and they were helping me have a secure attachment with them where I felt like I could trust them. They were consistent. Um, they were affirming. Uh, without being like enabling, right? And so all of those things really helped me have kind of a positive role model, helped me regulate my nervous system because I had a lot of anxiety. Uh, I still have anxiety, but I think my upbringing definitely contributed to that. And Mm. so it was probably attachment work mostly.
0: Can you explain for someone who maybe isn't familiar with attachment work or maybe, you know, I've had someone on and we've talked about different attachment styles and You know, Mm -hmm. so the conversation has come up, but it's very interesting to hear it from you from a child's perspective as to why you would need to have attachment work with a therapist. Let me tell you how I'm getting my feet summer ready. Soft, sexy, and beautiful. I am using Baby Foot, the original foot peel. It's the number one selling foot peel in America with nearly 30 million sold worldwide. They offer a selection of DIY at-home treatment products that are quick and easy to use. And the foot peel is a professional grade product at a price that makes it affordable to a wide range of consumer. It has won many beauty awards over the years and the peels are made with with 16 natural ingredients. The gentle process leaves skin undamaged while removing this dead skin to reveal the fresh, healthy layer beneath, like a baby's foot. Baby foot qualifies as a clean product. They are also vegan, gluten-free, and cruelty-free. For my listeners, go to www.babyfoot.com and use promo code EMOTIONAL20 for an exclusive 20% discount. That's E-M-O-T-I-O-N-A-L-2-0.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I think attachment work, from my perspective, and I do a lot of it now, comes back to the idea that humans are wired for connection. Mm. So our bodies and our minds, basically our emotional and mental health, depend on our ability to feel safe with at least one other person, but preferably a community of caregivers and peers. And in this culture, a lot of that is disrupted. People have to go back to work really quickly. You know, in my case, people have addiction. Like there are, it's intergenerational trauma that's keeping people from developing that attachment, that secure attachment with their children and the community, the children in their community. So when when you do attachment therapy, you're kind of basically creating a safe trusting bond between Mm -hmm. you and the client. And it often takes longer than other forms of therapy because it's not just about helping you figure out whether or not you should quit your job, which is also important work. It's like seeing this person through phases of their life and over time, their ability to recognize that you are safe and you are reliable and consistent and you're not going to, for example, you know, in an unsafe attachment be really happy with me one day and be really upset with me the next day. And I, as a kid, have no idea why. Like, that's what a lot of kids are experiencing. And, you know, a safe therapeutic attachment therapist will, that relationship will help you kind of reframe the idea that people can be trusted in the world and that's going to help you relax in your body. Wow. And does sometimes, uh, this is just
0: my own personal question of, you know, do attachment, you know, with the attachment worth work, Excuse me. Is that have something to do with kind of like abandonment issues as well? Like, is that so? That's like a huge thing. Wow, that's really interesting because I've never experienced that, but I've had um, partners and I've had family members that have had huge um, emotional issues on regard, regards to like um, abandonment, and um, you know, I, I hear it a lot with people who may have been um, adopted when they were kids and yep. they feel like abandonment from their biological parent, even though they're super close yep. with their, you know, um, adopted parent. Yeah. Um, so I, that's very interesting. And, and that's mm-hmm. great. And I love that you were, I mean, I don't know whose choice it was to put you in therapy, but I think that's pretty open and pretty cool <laughs> yeah. to do that because, yeah. you know, I, my experience, I, um, I live with bipolar one disorder And they didn't know Mm -hmm. what that was when I was younger, but I had this kind of weird thing where I couldn't cross thresholds. That was one of the signs that had come through. And I couldn't Mm -hmm. go from one side of the front door to the other side of the front door. And it would take about two hours. Sometimes it just never was going to happen because I was such a perfectionist. And I was so um, concerned that if I didn't do better than the day before, that I was a failure, that I should just give up. And, you know- it was really tough on my mom because, you know, this was in dance. I would show this in karate and it took a team Mm -hmm. of not only therapists and my dance teacher, my karate instructor, and my, you know, teachers at school to help out and kind of learn and understand. And I'm 36. So I was a kid of the nineties going to therapy and that was not normal either, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And well I wouldn't say not normal, but it wasn't common. And I remember I would do different types of therapy and the therapy that worked the best for me when I was around trying to think now I was like maybe eight or nine, um, maybe a little younger was hypnotherapy and hypnotherapy Mm -hmm. really helped me out. Um, And after a few months, I was able to perform on a stage again and cross that threshold and be able to do that. And it's interesting looking back at it now for my mom. She was like, that was mm-hmm. obviously a sign of the perfectionism and the control with bipolar disorder. But no one knew what that was at the time. We just thought yeah. it was someone that was an uber perfectionist as a kid. And and what was interesting is I never had pressure from other people. So I never felt that mm-hmm. from my parents. But I put right. it on myself. Um, and yeah. so it did feel weird, you know, being so young and being going to the therapist's office and, you know, doing that, Mm -hmm. but I, I loved it and I thrived on it. You know, it really, it, it helped so many, but there's such stigma still to this day of, Oh, I don't want to go in therapy, like, or the older generation, not wanting to put their kids in therapy because it makes them feel like maybe they were failures, you know? So I think that that's really cool that at such a young age, you were introduced to that, um, and yeah. that you found it in your, as a calling.
1: Yeah. And likewise, I'm so glad that you had that positive experience. And I think, you know, just hearing your story and thinking about my own background, you know, I was raised by my grandmother. She was a wonderful parent in sort, sure. of sorts, but people don't, I think, appreciate in this culture enough that, It's not just about your parents. No. Like, we hear so much in the mental health world about if you have mental health issues or trauma, it has to be that you had bad parents. That is not true. No. It's (laughs) right, parents can do everything right, whatever that even means. And kids still live in the world, obviously. Mm -hmm. We all have our own biological predispositions, and then we also have culture, we have our peers, you know, we have like pressure from society, we have messaging. We're living in a way also that's completely different than the way humans evolved to live. There's so much sensory overload, moving around throughout the day. I mean, it's just an incredibly novel environment for our biology. And so it makes total sense that we're dealing with all these different complex varieties of mental health issues. And it's not because people failed, right? And I wish more people understood that that isn't, you know, sending your kid to therapy doesn't mean that you're not doing something right. It's just that. Ideally, we would have a community of support and we would have an environment that fosters health and we yeah. really don't. So sometimes we're just calling in those reinforcements with therapy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, I always say like, you know, a therapist, it's it's like going on a lot of dates to make sure that you find the right one because mm-hmm. some people you just don't connect with. And there have been so yeah. many therapists that I don't connect with and it's nothing personal against them or or me. It's mm-hmm. It's about being able to find someone that can listen and that can help the way that you need to be heard, you know, and and, yeah. and so that's why I'm just, I'm a big promoter of of doing all that you can, even if it's not just talk therapy, whatever it may be, therapy for yourself, mm-hmm. just to to help out and keep it going. And like I said, hypnotherapy was so impactful in my life that I don't think I would be here. In fact, I know I wouldn't be here today Because I was so debilitated and it was such a crippling, Mm -hmm. what I can now say is anxiety, but I didn't know that it was anxiety at the time, you know? Um, And how wonderful that was able to help me at this young age so I could be here now. So I think that's so wonderful. So what kind of you know, we now hear about, you know, your journey when you were younger, where was Mm -hmm. the in-between where you thought, you know what, I actually really do want to do this professionally. I want to be a psychotherapist. I want to help people with trauma. I want to help, you know, I think you said in your, your book, um, and in your thing that you want to help misfits be understood or the Mm -hmm. ones who are misunderstood, understood. And I just, I love that so much. Mm -hmm. I just connected so Mm -hmm. deeply with that. So what was that next step for you?
1: Yeah. I love the question. Thank you. I mean, I'm just always, it's just as a misfit by nature, like it's just always been my people, people who don't fit into their culture, right? Yeah. You know, people who, for whatever reason, just like can't find others around them who have kind of resonate with their experience. Sure. And there are so many ways to be a misfit. So yeah. I think, you know, I was just, as a teenager, I, kind of was pretty rebellious, but at the same time, like I wasn't rebelling against anything in my home. I was rebellious against the culture around me. And I grew Mm -hmm. up in the Midwest and it was very toxically positive. And (laughs) to use that phrase from the book, you know, a lot of people not talking about stuff, not having honest conversations, a lot of social injustice that was really latent. And, you know, so I, I joined with friend groups that were kind of speaking out against that you know Mm. animal rights like feminism human like uh, you know later more like anti-racist work and so that was kind of my idea of what was cool and like I was you know in the punk scene and all of that stuff and so during those years I wasn't necessarily thinking that I would go on to become a therapist but somehow like you know, doing creative work and being, I was a musician as well, like slid into doing more alternative healing practices, Mm. going to first like yoga, but then even some more weird stuff, cuddle puddles and like. What is cuddle puddle? um, (laughs) It's basically what it sounds like. It's just a whole group of people like, you know, five to 20 to 40 people cuddling in a big pile. Incredible.
0: (laughs) That is yeah, incredible. you
1: got to do it. <laughs> yeah, we got to get that going for you. It's it's it was those kinds of experiences yeah. that happened for me in the art scene and in the like not quite in the social justice world, but like emerging of those two things, like being around people who are really working for social change and then being around people who are doing this really intense healing work. I did a lot of dance therapy. I led an ecstatic dance group for years with some friends. So I was doing all this kind of like weird hippie shit. And like, I just fell in love with these communities. I fell in love with kind of the way that I was, Feeling like so many different things were possible for me. Mm-hmm. And you
0: were healing yourself.
1: I was healing myself and I felt belonging, right? Yeah. Because all these people I were strange in different ways, but similar to me. And so right. that was what I spent most of my 20s doing, honestly. And I always knew I wanted to write. So writing, you know, just doesn't always make people money. And so I think I was like, should I become a therapist or should I be a writer? Right, right. And I kind of just was like, I'm going to try both
0: it's so interesting that you talk about dance too, because dance was my, um, healing. It is still my healing. Um, I was, and that's when kind of everything tumbled for me was when the perfectionism started. So it's kind of ironic that it's like a full circle yeah. moment, but, um, but you were saying you did aesthetic dancing. What does that mean? Ecstatic. Oh, ecstatic. I thought you said yeah. aesthetic, and I was like, I'm not understanding. You're like, it's all that. aesthetic. I mean, <laughs> it's all beautiful. Um <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but you know, to each their own. Oh, no, no, no. Ecstatic dancing. Okay, 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 yeah. okay. Have you done it? I've never done that before.
1: Yeah. It's it's a free form practice, sure. right? Okay. So it's like it's also called trance dance. Okay. Um, it's really again, it's like just what it kind of sounds like. It's just like you're in a tr- you're moving until you're in a trance. You're in a meditative state. You're not trying to look cool. There's no, no There's no actual move to do. And, you know, it's usually um, Mm nonverbal space. So they turn on the music. Um, We always dance for about an hour. And it was like a Sunday morning practice for us, because yeah. for my group of friends, it was like our alternative to church. Sure. We would sure. come every Sunday morning. We would, you know, do a different playlist based on a theme. And then we would, you know, sit in a circle. We would set intentions. It's totally woo woo stuff. And then we would dance for an hour and people would cry. I would feel like I was uh-huh. releasing pent up energy in my body. Yes. It did things for me that you know, understandably, some people feel like talk therapy and like traditional therapy can't do, and I I agree with that. Even as a therapist, like moving in that way and reaching that flow state with other people, transcendent.
0: I I, I completely agree, and I have to say, like uh, as someone who's very much into woo woo, you're speaking like yeah. to the right person. <laughs> um, Good. Transcendental meditation helped me so much mm. with my bipolar disorder. Um, yep. with my pregnancy and and, and mm-hmm. you know postpartum helped me tremendously. But the, the thing that helped me the most, I would say in my entire life is movement. And it doesn't yep. matter what kind of dance it was. It doesn't matter. I'm not a runner. I'm not a gym person. But for yeah. me, just if I put, especially during COVID, I think that was the best time. Mm-hmm. I would just blast my music and I would just move. Mm-hmm. However the beat was feeling, whatever I was going through, Because I think that there is dead energy that lives in every little cell of your body and it needs to be shaken up and it needs to move just to feel fresh again. And there is something about, you know, the science of like, guess what? You get your endorphins moving, your endorphins make you happy. Just like Legally Blonde said. Like, it's so true, you know? And I truly recommend that to everyone. And I love that. Like, turn the lights off, put the music on and just move for an hour, even if it's in the same movement, yeah. whatever you're doing, exactly. it just it brings flow. shit up. You know, it does.
1: Yeah, it does. The science is is on, on your side here too. You know, somatic trauma resolution has to do with even just the endorphins, yes, but also releasing, like you're saying, that stuck energy yes, and feeling yourself kind of have a, the whole access of all of the emotional states, right? Because when we are living in a trauma response state, we get really rigid, our window of tolerance gets smaller. We're in survival mode. We're, we're, you know, waiting for one particular thing to happen and we're waiting to respond in one particular way. And so moving in that way can absolutely help us resolve trauma and feel safer in the body. Totally. And I think music too. I think when people sing along to songs, like
0: there's something about it, people are so passionate about, but I think Mm. like getting the vibration going in your body, you know, through singing, through your lungs, through, you know, I think it's just get that diaphragm going i i'm i'm just very excited to have this conversation with you right now so this is really great so anyway so then know. so that's how you became you were like wow i'm yep. into all
1: this woo woo stuff this is my jam yep. like i want to help people yep. yeah basically and then i also you know i think i became a little disenchanted with some of that world as well mm. because like anything you know things can go too far and i think i was around a lot of folks who You know, I was just getting meeting more and more like life coaches. And look, you know, there are a lot of people doing that work that is that can be really empowering and really helpful and beautiful stuff. But then, you know, I was meeting a lot of people who were using terms like, you know, I did some training in in Tantra and folks like saying they're like shamanic priestesses was starting to, from my like social justice lens, I was getting a little like concerned about the terms we're throwing around and like, well, who, what who's really training these folks you know and i think that was when like mid 20s i was like you know i also respect like the traditional sure. academic setting like i yes. i am a fan of both you know alternative spaces and the traditional and that probably makes it even better i i i feel pretty good about having had experience with both but that was when i was like you know i i just want to go back and like see what a traditional training would would do for me i don't want to talk too much smack on like i i i'm right there with you where
0: i'm very wary of people that are like oh i'm life coaches and i'm gonna you know heal you and i didn't go to a traditional school or whatnot And that's all great if you have life experience, but if you just have experience of sitting at home and just watching television and then you're like, oh, this is an easy job that I can hop onto, you know what I mean? then you're like, you know, and so I always recommend to people, you know, do your research, find out, you know, what's the fit for you and, and just like anything in life. Scams are all around. So, you know.
1: And I think people don't even know, I don't think people think they're scamming people. I think, you know, if you come from a certain background where you have a certain level of privilege and you've been able to like sort of try different careers, you can really, if you're in a good place in your life, you can really feel like you do have something to offer people. And maybe you do, but it's when people start charging like $300 an hour, you know, to help you change your vibration. I'm just like, you really need to check yourself. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I just think right. we really need to culturally like look at some accountability around and, healing practices because oh, it's getting a little weird out there. 100- Agreed. And then how did you start the Big Feels
0: Lab? And which I love the name mm. first of all, because I Great. always tell people to feel your feels. I'm like, feel every feel, yeah. like whether you're yeah. sad, because how are you ever, and I, I promote this a lot. I think now that I have a baby, because I want people to know, you know, it's a good thing for your kid to experience yeah. sadness in their life. It's a good thing for them to experience happiness. Like they have to know mm-hmm. what all these emotions are so they can feel their feels in the pro- appropriate way so they can yeah. I- identify emotions. I'm not saying lock your kid up. Like by any means, my kid sleeps next to me every right. single night. Like <laughs> I'm not, There's no separation <laughs> anxiety happening there. Um, but I, I just mean introducing them to emotions and letting them understand what, what those are so we can identify because there were so many kids that I know I grew up with that were never introduced to emotions or feelings and Mm -hmm. they shut it down. It, it all became anger and it was always constantly anger. And I don't want my child to feel that. And so Mm -hmm. I want them to experience, you know, all the feels, So the big feels lab is just (laughs) such a powerful name in itself. And I'm like, yes, girl, feel your feels. Mm. Like, how did this happen? Thank you.
1: Yeah. Thank you. I mean, that was, that it's still an ongoing project in terms of like, we're still, we're still really small operation right now. But essentially when I went back to school and I, I, like I said, I have all this experience, really great experience with the alternative healing community. And then I went to this more formal setting and I was getting, I I think I got a really great formal education and it was social justice oriented, but I could really feel like the disparity, the discrepancy between these two worlds, these schools of thought, right? And so I think I, I wanted to start something just because I feel like th- therapists partly need help kind of bridging the gap, right, filling in the space because right. – so much of traditional therapy, while I do think that the, the field is changing, it's evolving, you know, people are thinking more about culture. Mm-hmm. We are thinking more critically about diagnoses and like, what do these really mean? At the same time, like there's a lot of catching up to do with those spaces when those healthy alternative healing communities are, are working, functioning well. Sure. They're often way ahead in terms of like, I had experiences in those, in those scenes where I was Able to freely release, like we were talking about, like a somatic feeling, a huge emotion in the company of people who knew how to handle that, and we really didn't get a ton of training in that in the in the traditional setting because we're coming from a culture where even just fifteen years ago, a strong emotion of almost any kind would have been seen through a clinical lens as something to be concerned about. Sure. So. I really just wanted to kind of have a project where I could, as I start, as I move through this field, help develop resources, you know, educational resources for the public, We've done some events, um, but also we do a lot of trainings now for clinicians and other healthcare providers, who you know are kind of standard in their training. They have a traditional training, but they want to learn more about these fringy things. They want to mm-hmm. learn about trauma informed care. They want to learn about working with non monogamous clients. You know, they want to learn about queer and kink clients and treatments for you know how to make sure that we understand what what's healthy and what's not in those worlds, right? Without just coming in with biases and lack yeah. of knowledge. So. It was really about filling in that space.
0: Oh, I absolutely love that. I just did an episode um with a gentleman named Michael K. and he was so wonderful. And he actually works for um OK Cupid and and he mm-hmm. came on it when he was talking all about um dating. And that like the whole episode was mm-hmm. about, you know, dating and your emotions and mental health. And it's kind of this weird thing, right? Because I share all the time that when I met my husband, the second sentence out of my mouth was that I live with bipolar disorder because every relationship that I had been in before, I had not been as open right away. Um, and mm-hmm. and I found a lot of them, um, and I won't get into detail, but a lot of them had used it against me saying when it, there'd be a situation where one of them would be cheating on me, but it was because I was bipolar. You know, uh, so these things were happening all the time. Yeah. So I'm very curious now, and as I've been married for a long time and, and in a relationship a long time, I'm not in the dating field. I want others to kind of learn what's the appropriate thing. Do you put that on your profile? You know, so we mm-hmm. were just talking about all this interesting stuff. And what I thought was really in, really cool what OkCupid was doing, Um, and by no means am sponsor by them, but I just think that this kind of relates, <laughs> um, yeah. was... They didn't they don't not only put on, you know, pronouns or specific, mm-hmm. you know, ways that you, you know, specific fet I guess with the words fetish or kink or whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, but they also have a list of all the different types of things that you can identify as, all the different types of kinks you're into and what they mean. So that you don't have to be the one to explain to someone yeah. on an app who's a stranger, oh, I'm into this, blah, 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 blah. It's there already, so you know, so you can be informed. And I thought, you know what? This Super is cool. so fantastic that people yeah. are not only aware and, and being so open about identities and how you see yourself and what you're into, but explaining mm-hmm. so you don't have to be the one to embarrassingly do it if you felt love embarrassed it. or shamed by it. it. Um. So I love what you're doing to make this so much more open for the community and for people to feel Mm -hmm. loved because we all have something that we are into where we have been shamed for. Um, And so it's nice to feel all those feels in the big feels lab. That.
1: Yeah, and to be able to find a clinician as well, you know, who understands who understands what your issue. Like nobody wants to educate their therapist about no. their identity, and you know, it's not that I think it's- a lot of therapists really want to do good work with sure. you know these marginalized communities, but they just don't have the experience or the personal knowledge. You know, so I think just trying to help people feel equipped.
0: Uh, And I love that because look, even me, I say it all the time. I'm still learning. I want to understand and I want to be open, Mm -hmm. but it is a learning thing. If you don't, if you're not in certain communities and you don't understand, like I, I I want all of us to learn together. So everyone feels like they have a place and that they feel at home and comfortable and not shamed. Um, So I love that. And then when did a pity party is still a party (laughs) book
1: come about? so it was right at the beginning of the pandemic actually Mm. that we sold it so I had been working on the idea for it for a little while kind of refining what it what it was really going to be about preparing to pitch it and then and my grandmother passed away in the end of 2017 and she was really thank you yeah she was really my mom so she was like my family and yeah um so that loss kind of like propelled me into wanting to write more about these, this, this book basically, because I just, I felt like it was the message of the book is so much of what I felt like she taught me. And as I was becoming a therapist during that time as well, and like, you know, understanding more about what I feel like people need to hear about mental health, it all kind of collided. And then, so, so the idea for the book started as a result of like my mom's death and then, um, my, my work as a therapist and then the pandemic, brought about this moment when it felt all the more relevant, right? right? To talk about mental health and how are we going to collectively respond, right? right? So that that was really what happened.
0: Wow, and what is something that you learned from your grandma slash mom um, yeah. that you um, would like to share with others? Like what is what insight is there something that you learned from her yeah. specifically that you would like to share?
1: Yeah. The thing that I feel like um I can most distill from her her life and her message to me was to trust yourself and to to trust your feelings and I really felt like I was given a space to um feel free to emote and speak my mind and to move through all the emotions without shame. There was not a lot of shame or shooting on me happening in the home. And I, I've learned over, over the years, you know, as I've experienced a lot of setbacks and hardships as, you know, so many people in my life have as well, I've noticed that there are times where it's easier for me to recover Mm. because I don't feel ashamed to be struggling in the same way that I feel like a lot of folks do. Right. And it didn't occur to me that that was such a benefit for mm-hmm. me, you know, like mm-hmm. being able to ask for help mm-hmm. like it comes easily mm-hmm. because I felt like I wasn't shamed wow. for needing help. Yeah. And I I'm amazed by how many people really feel that level of deep shame. Oh. And so, you know, that's something I feel really fortunate. Oh, I think- you... I mean, I certainly feel shame, don't get me wrong, but- Right, right, right. No,
0: and <laughs> I I have to agree with you, I understand, because I was raised by my mom, who's still my best friend, who never made me feel like I was different or I was never shamed, you know, even for yeah. the outbursts that I would have and the ups and downs and, you know, the the, the trauma that I went through from my own diagnosis. It never, I never felt like an outcast or like I was bad or evil because of that. Like I was, it was always love. And so I am someone that, I'm someone that doesn't always ask for help because I feel like I can do it all. That's my problem. But, but it's not because I'm scared to ask for help. You know, I'm like, oh no, no, I got it. Like I'm good. Like that's the awful perfectionist me, but, um, but, um, I can do it better. That's what I always think. But mm-hmm. I, I love that oh, and I love that message and I yeah. I'm so happy that you wrote your book and that you put her words down for oh, others to to understand and kind of feel that that warm hug, if you will. Um mm-hmm. because yeah. a lot of people don't get that, like you said, at all. And yeah, it's such a foreign concept to be like, how can someone not understand that? But it's like they don't, yeah. you know. And I've- I know,
1: and I mean, I shouldn't say that I don't understand. I just, I just continue to be surprised, you well, know. 100%. As I move yeah. through the world in this work, I'm like, wow, this is really powerful. It's a yeah. wound that's like deeper in our collective unconscious than i would have ever guessed and i and i want to be clear with people like it's not when i say like you know an unshaming environment no. it's not like i'm saying it's all pretty and no, awesome. no 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 like, you know my grandmother was mad at me often and there was like it was it was also a comfortable space for anger like yeah. i really believe that it, it, we can have relationships with ourselves and with each other that hold it all yeah. like you can be upset with someone without telling them there's something wrong with them. It's really, those are very different, right? You know, as long as we're just clear, like, hey, I'm really not in the mood right now to have this conversation. I appreciate that this is how you're feeling, but I love you, right? Like, you can do it. And I think that's the example. I I just want to offer people kind of an opportunity to hold it all. It's not about everything's going to be sunshiny. It's like, we just welcome it all. We welcome it all in ourselves. We welcome it all in each other. And we recognize that that's the world we live in. It's a mixed bag.
0: Well, what is next for you, Chelsea? Are you writing more books or I, what's coming next?
1: Oh yeah, thank you. I would, I am working on, I can't, I can't announce it just yet. Ooh. But I do have another book okay. that, you know, veers even a little bit away from the guidebook style. I'm really interested in collective questions, like the questions we're all asking right now. And so, um, existential questions. I'm Ooh, hoping I love that that book will come next, great. but I'm also really excited to be, you know, um, talking to people like there's, there's talk of doing some events in schools and, um, wow, that would you be know, fabulous. speaking with new therapists, doing some trainings with big feels lab.
0: Oh, I absolutely I'm really love excited that.
1: to meet people. Yeah. Yes.
0: And I'm excited to meet you. I think that what you're doing yes. is so fantastic and it's so great. And I think the more collective people that that we can all come together and we can mm-hmm. all just normal normalize that. I use that in yep. quotes, um, but yep. normalize mm-hmm. that conversation. You know, um, yep. and, and make it cool and look. For me, I'm all about helping the next generation because that's what I'm. That's Absolutely. what I birthed. You know, um, so yep. I want to make sure that my daughter grows up in a world where it was never strange to go to therapy or it was never strange to talk about your mental health or your emotions or how you're feeling. Um, And so that's awesome. Chelsea, I'm gonna ask you my final question that I ask everyone. (laughs) What is your emotional support?
1: Mm. You know, I would say on a daily basis, the thing that helps me most is the authentic connections in my life. You know, the spaces where I can just be 100%, you know, mixed up, confused, and and really feel held, um, whether that's staying on the phone with a friend for two hours, um, you know, while I'm not even talking, sometimes just making dinner, or cuddle puddles in my life, being touched, laying my head down in yeah. somebody's lap, you know, and just being pet like a little baby. Yeah. Um. And I also get medicine from doing that to others and supporting others in that way. It feels yeah. like such a nourishing experience to have those kinds of connections in my life. That's the first thing that comes to mind.
0: Oh, I think that, well, this is first, the, the first time someone has ever said cuddle puddle. So I'm so excited about that. <laughs> That it, you gotta try it. I mean, this sounds amazing. Like this yeah. truly sounds amazing, <laughs> and I think honestly, like I would be very good at it now that I'm a new mom. Like because oh, yeah. I'm used to just cuddling a baby, so I'm like here to cuddle people mm-hmm. like all day long. I got yeah. that. I don't need the cuddles. I'm ready to give the cuddles out. I've got a lot to give. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do that.
1: Well, there's a section in the book if you need a little how-to. Obviously, there are some parameters keeping it safe, but yes, um, you know. As long as everybody trusts each other, it's a beautiful thing. Oh my gosh, I love that. And Chelsea, how can everyone find you? So right now I'm mostly active on Instagram. It's just Chelsea Harvey Garner. And then, you know, hopefully I'll be popping into some cities around the country in the next few months. We'll see. But otherwise, you can grab the book anywhere books are sold.
0: Amazing. And I will have the link um, below. So everyone check that out.